Kessel slows the progress towards the line. Kept in the zone by Stevenson. Left circle, centered, score! Barbashev at the back door! Because one hour isn't enough, we welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Marcia so right side, feeds Eichel, opens up, he shoots, he scores! From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at lvsportsnetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Sticks down, drop the puck. Hour number two of the VGK Insider Show rolling along here on a Friday. Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman, Darren Millard en route to Winnipeg. We'll hear from Darren maybe tomorrow, probably tomorrow, perhaps tomorrow i got to check with him, see if he's able to do the pregame show. By the way, while we're talking about it, pregame show tomorrow will be live from the M Resort and Casino. Nighttime hockey bar. I'm going to be out there starting at noon. So it'll be a noon pregame. I'm hanging out for the intermission. I'm hanging out for the postgame show. There's going to be plenty of food and drink specials. You're going to want to get down there, watch the game among friends. It seems like a really cool spot. I'm super looking forward to it. So come on down, say hello, hang out with me, and let's watch the Golden Knights take on the Winnipeg Jets in game number three of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, the Golden Knights' big-time win last night, 5-2 victory over Winnipeg, gets the season, the series tied at one game apiece. And, you know, I was talking about it, and I teased it for a moment, and I want to get into it right now because there's, there's one area that was very much present last night for the Golden Knights, that I think if they continue to do this, they will win the series. And full disclosure, I picked the Golden Knights. I picked them in six. I did not easy series. I did not believe it was going to be a series. I think that the Winnipeg Jets are a much better team than a lot of people are giving them credit for. The problem with Winnipeg, and you saw it over the course of the first two games. The problem with the Winnipeg Jets is you just don't really know which version of the Winnipeg Jets you're going to get on a night-to-night basis. You don't know which version of Pierre-Luc Dubois you're going to get on a night-to-night basis. And when you can check well against Winnipeg and you can make it a tougher sled for those elite players offensively, they can shut down and shut down in a lot of ways. And it's not just shutting down offensively, it's shutting down defensively. It's shutting down in an inability to get to the spots, the posts that they need to hit so that their defensemen can break pucks out cleanly. And and you saw that at times for the Golden Knights over the second and third period, but it really, that's not where I want to go here. The aspect of the game that I think the Golden Knights, if they continue to do it, will win them the series, is how they create their offense. It's, it's all in how the Golden Knights create their offense. And we've talked about this team for so long. We talk about how good the Golden Knights are on the rush. We talk about how they live on the rush. And if they're going to score nine times out of ten, it's going to be a two-on-one or a three-on-two or a breakaway. Because that's how the Golden Knights predominantly score their goals. But when we talk about Vegas, and when we talked about this season as a growth type of season. We talked about, and we heard Bruce Cassidy say time and time again, you got to get to the interior, you got to be able to find different ways to create offensive chances, and you've got to be able to create from inside the zone, below the goal lines, right? Below the circles. That's where the Golden Knights need to create their offensive chances. And you start to think about last night, right? You start to think about the goals that the Golden Knights did score in that game. 
And all of a sudden, you look at it and you say, okay, one, really one of the five goals comes on the rush. And it's Mark Stone, his first goal of the game. It's a tap-in. You get speed through the neutral zone. You have Brett Howden kind of playing decoy. Chandler Stevenson drives wide. Stone goes right down the middle of the ice. Center lane drive, taps it in. Fantastic. It's great. It's great stuff right there from the Golden Knights. But then you start to look at all the other goals that Vegas scored. You have Jack Eichel tipping a puck on a one face-off. That's in-zone offense. Right? That's in-zone offense, what you want to see. William Carlson, his goal. It comes by virtue of the Golden Knights having a dogged, persistent nature trying to track down a puck that's right in the middle of the slot. And William Carlson finds it, and he beats Connor Hellebuck. In-zone offense. Chandler Stevenson. It's, again, a face-off. You get a, you get a situation where you're able to win that draw back. You get Alex Petrangelo throws a shot on goal. That arrives with traffic. Connor Hellebuck spits out a rebound. And who's on the doorstep? Chandler Stevenson. And then I know it's the fifth goal of the game. I do. I get it. I, it's goal number two for Mark Stone. The roof was ready to blow off the place. It did. But the play on that goal is William Carlson's work below the goal line. He's able to muscle off three jets. He's able to hold the puck while there's a line change happening. And then you've got Mark Stone breaking down the middle of the ice, which is completely abandoned because William Carlson has his hands full with three Winnipeg Jets players and their forwards don't track back toward the middle of the ice. In zone offense. If the Golden Knights are going to win this series, they're going to have to be able to find ways to score that is not on the rush and you saw that they put up four last night on Connor Hellebuck solely because of their in-zone ability to create offense which is a unique wrinkle to this team it is a layer to the onion added this year by Bruce Cassidy and it should make you very optimistic for what's to come in this series Chapman you have anything to add yeah you know it's it's funny because I I I talked to William Carlson last night after, not just me, but mm-hmm. William Carlson spoke to the media um, in the locker room last night. And, you know, it, it, it just speaks, I think, to, to his play because we talked about the little things, right? Maybe things that don't show up on the score sheet. The, 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 it's, it's the small details that help you win games this time of year. <laughs> and we talked about the play that he made behind the net on Mark Stone's second goal. Right, because he he's fighting for the puck. There's two jets there. He's there by himself. He did not know that Phil Kessel went went off the ice. He didn't know that that they changed lines. So when he when he won the puck and he saw Mark Stone there, he was a bit surprised, but he was able to get the puck to Stone after winning that puck battle behind the net. And of course, Stone buries it. But you know, it, it's it's the small things, and the Golden Knights are really good, right? Like like obviously there there there's things that that. We, we talked about that Hellebuck save, and while that's not a small thing, over the course of a game, when something like that happens in the first period, it's a, it's a big thing, but it's it's a save, right? And, and it's no different in terms of what shows up on the stat sheet, right? You can look and say, oh, well, he, he had X amount of saves last night, but obviously some saves are better than others. And that was one where if you just looked at the box score, you have no idea how big of a save that was. Just like if you look at the box score and you see William Carlson had an assist on that goal, you don't know all the dirty work that he did behind the net in order to win the puck battle and and set up that goal. 
Was he the most impressive Golden Knight for you last night? You know, it, I I think it's 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 debatable, but I, a guy who I thought played really really well, and I and I don't think he showed up on the stat sheet at all. I thought Nick Waugh was was real noticeable. He did a lot last night, and 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 it's again it goes back to small details. The way he was able to move the puck, uh, you know, the way he fights in 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 the corners for pucks, like he's a big body, but. He's he's got a little finesse in his game at times, and I thought he was really really good last night. And and what what's what's funny is on a lot of teams, I don't think Nick Waz playing fourth line center, but he sure. fits so perfectly with what this team wants to do that I don't want to say he's relegated to the fourth line center because that's a disservice to the fourth line of the Golden Knights because I don't think any of those guys are are true fourth line guys. And and so, it's the again go back to the little things that Nick Waugh did in that game. I thought he was really impressive, and I don't think he had a had an assist. Um, I'd have to go back and look, but there, there were just little aspects to his game that I thought he did a phenomenal job. Again, you know, I I thought the the defensive pairing of Alec Martinez and and Alex Petrangelo. You look at the numbers and and the job that they did on that Pierre Luc Dubois line. It gets overshadowed because the Golden Knights scored five goals, but that line definitely did not look as crisp and as solid last night as they did in game one. And I think in large part, it's because of of Martinez and Petrangelo being on the ice a lot with that line. So we saw Bruce Cassidy go back to the lines he started the series with in game number two. That made it about 20 minutes. And then going into the second period, Bruce Cassidy tweaked his lineup. This is what it looked like for Bruce over the final 40 minutes. Mike Amadio went up to play with Jack Eichel and Jonathan Marcheseau. So he kept the the misfits in Phil Kessel. So Riley Smith, William Carlson, Phil Kessel, that line stayed together. Then you had Brett Howden sliding up to play with Chandler Stevenson and Mark Stone. And Ivan Barbashev, Nick Waugh, and Keegan Colesar. That ended up being the fourth line for the Golden Knights. Going into game three... Are you expecting Bruce to kind of go back to Barbashev top line with Eichel and Marcheseau? Or do you think the configuration that Bruce ended the game with in game number two is what we see going into game number three? I think he sticks with with what we saw last night at yeah. the end of the game. Michael Amadio is, is it's incredible because I, I think for a long time we were, we were kind of like, we, we didn't really know what Mike Amadio was. But you see Mike Amadio playing with top top players, elite players, and he's a good player. Like like the Golden Knights mm-hmm. found a diamond in the rough in Mike Amadio. And I think again, little things, right? The the, the goal that Eichel scores, it's him and Marcia so fighting for a in puck, right? Yeah, doing the dirty work. And the goal that Eichel scored, like like I had to go back and watch it multiple times. Because the, yeah. the 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 job that Jack did getting his stick on that puck and the way that there was no way that Hellebuck was ever going to save that, like I don't care who it was in net, Dominic Hasek wasn't saving that because it was such an elite tip and, and deflection mm-hmm. that that. But again, it doesn't happen without the dirty work that Mike Amadio and Jonathan Marchessault were doing, and and you know I I think it worked. You, you scored five goals in two periods. I think you're going to stick with that. I 
tend to agree with you. I, I think that what we saw in the configurations that Bruce Cassidy had to end the game in game number two, especially because the Golden Knights were playing so well, they were killing so many plays. I think that you roll that back going into game number three. And a lot of the reasoning being is that you've got guys that go into the trenches and do the work on every single line now. And I love Michael Amadio up there with, with Jack Eichel and Jonathan Marsh. So because Michael Amadio does some really good work along the walls, he's able to get in, win a battle. And then when he's got the puck on his stick, because he has the talent it's a high level that he plays at. He can make plays too. Now, he does go to the front of the net hard. He does get to the inside. But I think the the ability for Amadio to go along the walls and win, win battles, win 50-50 pucks, extend those types of plays and make the right read, bumping pucks back up to the to the point to get into the net. I, I mean, I, I like the configuration of what Bruce Cassidy has. So it'll be interesting to see what direction Bruce goes tomorrow ahead of game number three. But earlier today, Bruce Cassidy did address the media for the second time in less than 12 hours. I'm sure Bruce is getting tired of all of us. But Bruce did talk about uh, the game a little bit last night, four lines for the Golden Knights, and what we might expect coming into Game 3. Chris Chapman, Fox Sports Las Vegas. I know we we talked about so many guys last night and the job that they did, but I think, at least from my perspective, we, we overlooked the job that Lauren did in the first period to keep you guys in the game because it, it seemed like if he didn't come up with some of those bigger saves – you guys could have been down a little bit more than one nothing going into the locker room. Yeah, I, I thought both goalies were good. To be honest, our first power play, we had two really good looks. Uh, he made a great glove save, one that hit him in the head. But, um, yeah, the goalies were good. Um, and then we settled in and played a lot better in front of LB. Uh, we talked about that the first intermission. We can't rely on him to, to win us a game. I mean, if it happens, great, but that's not our approach to playing the game. Hasn't been for 80 that was our 84th game. We're not going into it thinking that way, and that's not by being loose, for lack of a better term, or uh, making poor decisions with the puck. That, that's how we end up putting it on him. So we got better at that, and but we needed him. And I think any team would tell you in the playoffs, any time of year, you need your goalie to step up when he needs to step up. And it's hopefully not for 60 minutes. It was for the first 20, and then a few along the way. And that's when our goalies have been at their best. And uh, last night was a good example of that. And we needed him. He bounced back very well. Um, and uh, it was full value, I thought, for the win. Ben Goats, Las Vegas Regional. Bruce, you guys have been one of the best road teams in the NHL all year. Do you view that as something that's easily translatable to the playoffs? I do. And I think, listen, there's no guarantee. I'm not predicting. I think we're a good road team because we don't rely on one line to do this work and this work and this, you know what I mean? We, we have four lines that we uh, trust against anybody. And that usually starts in the middle. Good defensive centerman that can play 200 foot game and still bring you offense. So we have four guys there. We also feel we have three pairs that we're not chasing a matchup. We're not closing our eyes of our third pairs out there against their top line. That's never happened all year. Uh, we've relied on our guys to get the job done, whoever they're matched up again. Do we prefer certain matchups? Of course, but that's why I think we're good on the road. We don't get caught up in, in that game, and players know they're going over the boards and not worried about, okay, who's coming out for them? Do I got to get to the bench? Uh, and they just play and play the right way. And I think that's why we've been a good road team. And some of it also has to do with the veteran group that's been there and done it. They don't get rattled in certain ranks if things don't go your way or if it gets loud. So I think that's a combination of both those things. 
Danny Webster, Las Vegas son, uh, obviously, I think it was four trips to the power play or three or four in, in the first period. Obviously, he didn't score, but the movement looked a lot better. Was that kind of a little bit better of what you were looking for? going? Yeah, through? I thought our power play at least executed at a higher level. Um, can we do it for the full two minutes of the power play? We took ourselves out of the last one, but got a real good look, Stevie, in the slot, that down and in play. Hit him in the head again. So if we can start buzzing it by his ears instead of hitting him square on, I mean, we're going to get rewarded on some of those. And then we took a penalty after that. So we're getting some good looks, at least every power play, generating some action at the net. Uh, we just got to sustain that a little more and, and eliminate the force plays. Even the first one, we had good, good looks, and then we kind of force a play up top that if we move our feet and support the puck better, um, you know, we'll, we'll maintain possession in the zone. And I've always said, if you're in the zone for most of the power play, no matter what, who you are in this league, there's five good players at skill are going to make some plays eventually. And that, that's kind of been what we're looking to do. And we did a better job at pace, puck recovery, and then unforced errors. You know, usually you're going to have some success if uh, you generate enough. And last night, like I said, he, he stole a couple from us. Uh, if we have the same looks tom uh, tomorrow, I, I believe we'll get a couple on the power play. Ron Futrell from Eight Sports Now. Yesterday, the news of the Oakland A's moving to Vegas. Your thoughts? I know, I know you were preoccupied with a lot of other stuff going on, but your your thoughts on another major league sports franchise coming to Vegas? Well, I think it's great. Um, I'm a baseball. I love baseball. Um, I've been a big fan. Played till I was about 17, so I've always been a big fan of the game, and glad to see it here. Uh, you know, we can see the park from our gym upstairs, so I sneak up there every once in a while. And there's a game going on. Take a look. Uh, um, so I'm happy for the for the city. Um, obviously, I don't know the whole history of the Oakland. You know, being an East Coast guy, you're paying more attention to the, the, those markets. I just know that they haven't filled the building there for a long time. They've had some issues, so we'll take them. We'll take them with open arms. They've always had a great history. I think back of Oakland A's of '72. I think it was. Was it Charlie? Uh, uh, Finley or was he the only like catfish hunter in those days? I remember the A's and the Reds, Raleigh, yeah, playing in the World Series. Um, Bert Campanaris and and Joe Rudy, all these different guys that were they had a great team. So um, you know, we'll we'll um, we'll welcome them here. And I think the more franchises you have, the more competition you kind of can create amongst yourselves to to raise expectations. So it's a, it's a good thing. <laughs> Chris Chapman, Fox Sports Las Vegas. This is a franchise that's always prided itself from day one, having a lot of leaders in the locker room. You guys obviously have a lot of leaders in the locker room, guys who've actually won the cup, raised the cup. How much, how much, how important is that this time of year, having guys like Petro, guys like Phil? Well, through the ups and downs, that's what you need, guys that have been there and done it to sort of say, okay, we lost game one. We didn't play our best. We all acknowledge that and are quite aware of it. And you want to figure out why, but you don't have a lot of time to dissect it. You got to be just know you have to be better in game two. And that's where it comes in handy that there's no panic. And, you know, credit to those guys on the ice. There's also a time and times in the game where you got to up the intensity level. And those are the, like I saw it with Petro, right? His emotional level last night, physicality. You could see it that he was going to drag some of us into the fight. You see it with William Carlson, Carlson early. All of a sudden, Stoney's dragging guys in, and Stevie's got some jets now. And so you can see it snowball through the game. So it's not just one guy the whole night and, you know, different guys doing their part. And, and in Winnipeg, we'll need a little bit of the same, right? Because they're going to come out, it's going to be loud, and we'll need some veteran guys to sort of either settle us down or, or 
pull us into the battle. And that's what we needed last night. I thought we were emotionally engaged because of that. And then now all of a sudden you start playing better hockey because you're executing better, managing the puck better, but your emotion level is high. And that's what separated us from them. I think at the end, we were winning our races and our battles and then doing the right things. And so for us, it's important. I think Winnipeg would say the same thing. They're going to need their guys if it goes sideways on them early on. It, it happens to every team. And sometimes that's the difference between advancing and not, right? These guys settle you down, get back to your game. Uh, and games don't get away from you. And I thought we did a good job of that. I was, I was yeah. um, how fine is that line between knowing when guys need to settle down versus when they need to be thrown? Well, for a coach, you're always battling that because there's some guy, players will say, hey, you know, we got this. And then I'm like, no, you don't got it. This is my job. We got to get it now because we're not going to end up down 2 nothing again. It's one nothing, and we're not managing the puck. Like now is the time that we, we need to, you know, get their attention and get it going. And I think, you know, for a coach, you want to make sure you're doing your job, but yet you want your players that have been there to take over as well, right? So, you know, you got to have a feel for that. And I felt last night it was early. We didn't want to start chasing it again. So good for Petro. Maybe he said, you know what, I'm going to shut Butch up by taking control now. Great. That's what we want. We want the players to, you know, drive the bus. So, um, so good, you know, good for him and, and, and the other guys to, to grab it. So um, they're the ones that, that control the, you know, that what's going on. And if, if they do it, it, you know, now as a coach, you're just making sure you get the right people on the ice um, the right time and, and making any adjustments. Ben Goetz, Las Vegas Regional. Uh, you've mentioned Mark before. What does it mean, not just obviously him scoring and celebrating, but the way that the other four guys on the ice reacted to that and the bench as well? Well, listen, he's our captain for a reason. He's our emotional sort of whatever needle you want, you know, sort of however you want to describe it. And, uh, you know, the first game was tough for Mark. He hadn't played in a long time. And we put him out there a lot. Now you're chasing the game. And, and so... It was a big ask, and now all of a sudden he starts settling in. You saw it in the second period. At least I did. I noticed him in front of the net. Now he had two good chances. One was off net. The other one he just – and you say it's coming, right? He's coming. He's finding pucks now. This is the Mark Stone, right? He's stripping guys, finding pucks. It's only a matter of time bef before those hands settle in. Sure enough, happened in the third period. So um, – and I think guys are excited for him. They, they've seen what he's gone through two years in a row. And it, it's hey, – this is one of your brothers out there and you're going through major surgery, you don't know how it's going to play out. So I think everybody was a little on pins and needles how it was going to work out for him. You know, is he going to be able to make it through a hockey game? Is he going to be able to get back to his level? And we're seeing him do both of those things. So um, I, I think everyone gives everyone a little bit more juice. That's Bruce Cassidy. Earlier today, as he addressed the media before flying out to Winnipeg, uh, you know, I, I'm taken aback in a way because – of what Bruce just talked about with Mark Stone, right? Like, we, we look at it, and, okay, great, he's back in the lineup, everything's fantastic, he plays game one of the playoffs, but there's a lot of uncertainty as to what is going to happen and how Mark's body's going to hold up because you just don't really know until you get through that first game. So as, as much as, you know, you can look at it and say everyone's excited, everyone's ready, everyone's looking forward to Mark being back in the lineup, I think there's, there's also you know, rightly some apprehension with everybody until you get through that game, until you're ready to go for game number two. And I, I think the other aspect for me is when Bruce starts talking about 
you can see things coming along for Mark Stone. In the second period, two great chances in front of the net, and then all of a sudden you start to see the plays that he's making, the ability to strip pucks, the ability to get into lanes, the ability to just create certain situations where he's got all the time and the space and he's able to find the right play. Uh, when Mark Stone's at that level, he is one of the best in the league. He is, in my estimation, the most important player for the Golden Knights in this playoff run. Um, and it is interesting that just getting back into the lineup while you're excited, it's always going to be cautious optimism, cautious excitement until you're able to get through that first game. Yeah, and and look, the, there's there's no no way of knowing what the future is. But I think you can certainly, if you're the Golden Knights, you can help Mark Stone along by closing out series early, right? Like winning these series early. All right, you have the chance to win this series in five. Well, if you do that, you're going to get Mark Stone more rest, and there's going to be a lot less wear and tear on his body. I mean, obviously, we we, we don't know. You know, none of us are doctors. None of us know the future. We're not. We're not. Uh, um, uh, you know, able to 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 look into the crystal ball and see what's going to happen down the road, but. I think you you improve your chances of having a fully healthy Mark Stone by just preventing him from taking the beating. Because I mean, look as as this series goes on, I, I think the intensity is going to ramp it up. I mean, we saw a little bit of it last night in the first period, but both of these teams want to win, right? Like nobody wants to go home. I mean, it, it's it's a cliche, but but it's the truth, right? You look at the way these teams play, and not just this series, but every series. You look at that Dallas Minnesota series. I mean, that's intense. Mm-hmm. so Um, (laughs) well okay speaking of dallas and minnesota and and i'm glad you went there because this doesn't really fit in one timers and i just really 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 want to get to it so the minnesota wild obviously shocked the the dallas stars in game number one it's double overtime 4-3 victory for minnesota dallas comes back and absolutely lights up Marc-Andre Fleury and the Minnesota Wild in game number two. I I still, listen, I know Darren explained to us why Marc-Andre Fleury got the start in game number two. I'll never understand that. Like, if it's me, if I'm the Minnesota Wild, and, and listen, I, I know I said it yesterday, I, I'm not going to put this all on Dean Evison. I'm, I'm really not, I'm not, I promise. Um, if I'm the Minnesota Wild, if I'm in charge of the Minnesota Wild, Marc-Andre Fleury does not play another game for me until Philip Gustafson proves he can't get the job done. Okay, that's number one. But number two, number two, and this is really funny, this is really interesting, I saw it today. When Pete DeBoer is involved in playoff series, there's a couple of things that end up happening inevitably, and more often than not it happens early on in the playoffs. There is almost a 100% chance that Pete is going to get into a war of words with the opposition coach. In this case, it's Dean Evison. Pete DeBoer spoke about how he knows during pre-scout, you go through these things, how often the Minnesota Wilds are penalized. They are the sixth most penalized team in the league, and you can utilize that to your advantage if you're Pete and the Dallas Stars because you've got players that have some really good looks on the power play. And then Dean Evison brought to his attention, he starts talking about certain situations and why he thinks that they're getting so many calls called against his Minnesota Wild team and how honest and trustworthy they are. 
And it was just a back-and-forth display between the two coaches, and it sets up a great subplot for game number three between these two clubs, which goes a little bit later tonight. I feel like, Chapman, we should hear the war of the words between Pete DeBoer and Dean Evison. Um, just all the misconducts and everything, what yeah. do you make of kind of the temperature of this series and what it's going to be like going forward? Yeah, not surprised. Again, when you when you when you pre-scout, I mean, you know, Minnesota takes penalties. They're sixth most penalized team in the league, so we're ready for that. Back, you guys take penalties. You have the stats to back it up and said that they've been ready for that. Where do you make it? Yeah, you know, we uh, we watch all the press conferences too, um, and he uh, mentioned that we were sixth in the league and we're gonna something like we're gonna continue um, to do that. Obviously, uh, you know, we monitor that. We felt hmm, that they had some some bigger people probably go down pretty easy in in that hockey game. Um, you know, we've talked about this before. Um, you know, and it's it's a fine line because we don't dive. Our team, the Minnesota Wild, don't dive. And uh, there's so many times I would love to go in there and go, you know what, guys, let's embellish and you know, uh, I mean, you want to draw penalties because of how hard you're working and how gritty you are and, and whatever. But, um, you know, our superstar player, we've talked about this before, and Kirill, he takes a lot of abuse. He doesn't go down very often. Probably got hurt because of it. Um, but we don't do that. It's just that's not what we do. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, there was, uh, there was some of that last night. Dean Evison said yesterday during his press briefing that uh, he felt that some of the Stars' bigger players went down very easily and made a point of saying that the Minnesota Wild don't die. And I wonder if that, if you have a response to his take on your your team and your players. <laughs> There's a hockey term for that, Scott. It's called deflection. Um and you know what? Hey, listen, if, if if I was coaching one of the most penalized teams in the league, I'd probably do the same thing. So that's good coaching by him. <laughs> All right. So, Chapman, who who won the War of the Words? Well, Pete, clearly, uh, <laughs> because he, he put Dean Evason on the, you know, he put him on the offensive, right? Like, Pete Pete subtly dropped the hint. Like, like it was so passive-aggressive that he was like, well, you know, these guys are the sixth most penalized team in the league, and so when, when mm -hmm. you scout a team, you, you kind of pick up on those things. And then he put right away put Evison on the offensive, and then Pete with the with the laugh, the the, the classic laugh, yeah. like like I, I I I like Pete because he's got a great sense of humor. He's he can be very dry at times, but he loves to laugh. And to me, that laugh before he says, "Yeah, there's a there's a hockey term for that," like. It was such a, a a lawyer thing to say, right? Like Pete Pete is is a guy who who's was law school educated. It's it's so it's such a funny thing the way he laughs, and then he's like, "Oh, by the way, yeah, uh, you know, there's a hockey term for that. So it's called deflection." I I like Pete. I I think we we didn't get enough of that type that that Pete when he was here, right? Like prickly Pete. We didn't get enough of that. But yeah. man, that's good stuff, and and it only raises the temperature in 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 this series because it's already been pretty like at the end of the at the end of game two they were throwing out guys like it was like it was a bar and it was closing time the way they were tossing guys in that one. So, uh, but speaking of that series, is 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 there a more underrated player in the NHL than Rope Hints? 
Like he's so mm, quietly no. just goes out there and he's so good. He's an assassin. Like he's yeah. cold blooded. Yeah, I love it. Rope Rope's fantastic. Um I I loved that entire exchange based solely on the reporters continuing to go back. Oh, right? they, like, they, they hey, were so, so listen, egging it on. <laughs> yeah. So so Pete has his initial his initial claim and then it's like, So hey Dean, did you hear this thing that Pete said about you? And then hey Pete, did you hear what Dean said in his response to the thing that you said about him? Like I love the pettiness of all of that. Yes. I really do. I thought yes. it was fantastic. Um but I will say this, like I agree with you in terms of the quips, in terms of, of just the, the verbal assault, I think Pete DeBoer wins that one hands down because there are players on the Minnesota Wild that absolutely do dive. Like it just just saying it like it is, every single team at some point in time over the course of eighty two games, a hundred games, whatever it is, someone's going to go down easy trying to w- trying to win a call. Like you can't say unequivocally, we do not dive. The Minnesota Wild do not dive. I- I'm guaranteeing you there will be a player in this game tonight for Minnesota that tries to embellish to get a call. Well, yeah, guaranteed. I mean, it will happen. The the funny thing is, like when when Pete was in San Jose. He had Logan Couture, who I I thought should win an Academy Award for some of the stuff that he would do in in, in the series. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it's funny because it, it, it every team has those guys, and and sure, I, I won't say who they are here. I'll let the fans figure that one out. But uh, it, mm-hmm. it, it is funny because you know it, it's 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 it happens so often, and then the coaches are like, "Well, my guys don't do that." Yeah. Well, they do, um, but I do like and, and and really in this moment, if you if you get a chance to catch the video, I actually tweeted it out earlier at Ryan Hockey Guy. Um, watch the video for Dean Evison's reactions; they're phenomenal. The facial expressions, everything about it, I love it. I I cannot wait for Game Three. Like. It was the series I paid the least attention to going into the playoffs, and it, quite frankly, has been my favorite series so far. The the Dallas Stars, the Minnesota Wild, it's been rough. The games have gotten away from the referees. There's been a ton of goals, goaltending controversy. Like, everything that you want in the playoffs is happening in that series, so make sure you stick around and watch Game 3 tonight. We're back with one-timers next on the VGK Insider Show. Carlson left corner, centered, one-timer, score! It's time for one-timers. One-timers. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day on the VGK Insider Show. One-timers, news and notes from around the NHL. Going to spend a lot of time right now on playoff hockey. Six of eight series are tied one-to-one through two games this marks the second straight year and the eighth time in stanley cup playoffs history that six or more best of seven series in the opening round are even through game number two so it's parody for sure that's the idea that's what you want if you're gary bettman but let's look at the two series that are not square after two games let's look at the carolina hurricanes and the new york islanders and also the new york rangers and the new jersey devils carolina up two games to none on the islanders the rangers go into new jersey and defeat the devils to take games one and two of those two series chris chapman which one is more likely to go the distance well i 
I, I would say the Islanders in Carolina, but the Hurricanes just tied the game at one. So, um, <laughs> look, I, I I say this as a born and bred New Jersey Devils fan. They are yeah. done. They have been completely overwhelmed. <laughs> the moment yeah. was just too big for those guys. Like, it was cool for Eric Hall to score that goal last night and, and become part of history. And But, I mean, Jack Hughes, he has the one goal. But Dawson Mercer's been invisible. Timo Meyer's been invisible. I mean, the goaltending, it was a question mark. It hasn't been good. The power, the penalty kill's been bad. I, I mean, that series is is done. Stick a fork in the Devils. I would be surprised if they if they win more than one game in that series. I don't think they win a game. In, they, they could steal a game in New York, but I don't oh, think... Oh, you think they're going to get swept? I think it's highly possible. You know, you know what? And, no. and, and Ryan, the thing is, I, I was such a homer when I thought about yeah. this that I really failed to think about <laughs> the fact that the Rangers <laughs> were basically two games away from the Stanley Cup final last year. They have mm-hmm. arguably the best goalie in the NHL in Igor Shesterkin. Yeah. They added yeah. Patrick Kane, Vladimir Tarasenko to a lineup that was already fully loaded with guys like Chris Kreider and Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, Adam Fox. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just got so caught in the hype of how many points the Devils had and how good they were down the stretch. Yeah. The Rangers were content with being the three seed, and they didn't really push themselves down the stretch. Whereas New Jersey, I think they were trying to catch Carolina. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not as good as the Rangers. Like, the, the whole speed thing has been neutralized. It's been very sobering. But I had the conversation (laughs) with Brian McCormick last night, who who actually grew up a New York Rangers fan. I thought he was an Islanders fan, but he grew up a New York Rangers fan. Um, The conversation was, well, the last time the Rangers eliminated the Devils from the playoffs, eliminate the work stoppage, in between, the Devils went on to win the Stanley Cup the following year. So, yeah. Maybe maybe there's a little history repeating itself, although that series went seven and it was in the Eastern Conference Finals and there were a lot of Hall of Famers on the ice in in that series. Wow. So a um, long, long time ago, but uh, hey, you never know. What a long and twisting road it took to get here, but uh, <laughs> you think you think the Devils are done. Okay. Um, listen, I'm looking at my bracket right now, and I picked the New Jersey Devils. Like, full disclosure, I picked the Devils – in oh boy, in five <laughs> over the Rangers, and I think you're absolutely right. For a moment in time, when I looked at this series, I forgot that Igor Shesterkin existed. I forgot that Chris Kreider existed. That Adam Fox existed. I forgot that Patrick Kane is now a New York Ranger, and that Vladimir Tarasenko is an absolute tank when it comes to playoff hockey. So uh, I misread the room. There, I'm still not willing at the moment to to count out the New Jersey Devils, uh, but I am very much disappointed in the New York Islanders, as you mentioned. The New York Islanders, their first playoff game at UBS Arena, it goes 32 minutes of scoreless hockey. It, like if that's not the most Islander thing to do, I don't know what is. But the Islanders finally get a lead. Finally get a lead at home. 32 minutes for something to finally happen, and then the Carolina Hurricanes score like three minutes later. So it's a 1-1 game, Carolina, the Islanders, uh, just about the end of the second period. And we mentioned it earlier, 
No Patrice Bergeron out with it with an injury. No David Krejci tonight for the Boston Bruins out with an injury. And it's now 2-0 Boston in the second period. So the Florida Panthers, a, a silver platter. It's right there for the taking in front of you. And the Florida Panthers are laying an egg in game number three at home. Go figure. Who would have thunk it? Um, I want to talk about the Leafs because I I picked the Leafs, and it was real funny. I'm not going to lie to you. It was real funny on Tuesday keeping up with how badly the Leafs got outplayed by the Tampa Bay Lightning, allowing seven goals in game number one. But then the Leafs come roaring back last night and became just the second team in the last 29 years to score seven goals in a playoff contest immediately after allowing seven-plus in their previous outing. Um, Joining the 2012 Pittsburgh Penguins, it was that wild series between the Penguins and the Flyers. It was uh, essentially when Claude Giroux became the best player in the world over Sidney Crosby. It was a really entertaining series. Um... Given how Toronto answered last night, do you think they actually have what it takes to win a playoff round? Maybe. <laughs> um, look, I, I, I think the whole world outside of Tampa is is kind yeah. of rooting for the Leafs. Maybe then it, no, I take that back. I think everybody outside of Toronto is rooting for Tampa to win this series, just so they could pile on the misery. Of the Leafs fan, it's like at, at what point are, are they going to break through? And you know, listen, if they're not going to do it now with the depleted Tampa yeah. team, when are they going to do it? Like, w- when will it happen? If they don't do it this year, I wonder how much longer the core of that team remains intact. Um, it, it's been like, I mean, I think the Leafs have have not won a series, and my son's going to be sixteen. I feel like they haven't won a series in his <laughs> lifetime. So, if you're not going to do it this year with with a banged up uh, Tampa team, mm-hmm. when, when when will you do it? I pick Tampa only because I don't believe in Toronto ever until they they. It's yeah. like I picked them last year, and it's the old fool me once, fool me twice thing. I'm not I'm not falling for that again. They, they they're going to have to do it, and if they don't do it, I I I would like to be a a. a listener of Toronto Sports Talk Radio if the Leafs fail to win this series. And the good thing is, thanks to modern technology, I can be. I I feel like everyone in in the hockey world outside of Toronto is rooting for Toronto. And everybody inside of the ho- inside Toronto is rooting for the Tampa Bay Lightning just to see what happens in yes. the aftermath of yet another oh playoff gosh. failure. Those are your one timers for today, Friday, April twenty first. Catching up with Chapman is next. When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for catching up with Chapman. All right, Ryan, I know we've got a busy, busy weekend of hockey ahead of us uh, this weekend. Obviously, Golden Knights tomorrow, early afternoon game in that one. Uh, But Minnesota-Dallas, I'm so looking forward to that game three tonight, in part because of what we played earlier in the Mm -hmm, show. But mm -hmm. I think after that, like I like to wind down while I'm laying in bed before I go to sleep, and I'm going to catch up on the final episode of Mandalorian. Um you know, normally, normally I'll I'll, I'll watch it uh, the day it comes out, but uh, mm-hmm. for for some reasons, I, I obviously last night wasn't able to watch it, and then 
Uh, I don't know what what happened Wednesday night that I wasn't able to watch it. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to finish it up tonight, and I'm excited to see how it ends. I don't know if there's going to be a season four because I have no idea what the hell is going to happen in the final episode tonight. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I've enjoyed it, although I honestly I enjoyed seasons one and two a little bit better than this one. But maybe they can finish with a bang, and, and it'll turn out to be worth my time. I have not watched any of this season of The Mandalorian. Um, oh, there's there's I one episode where there's some big time cameos. I, I know who the cameo is, and I'm well. There's more than certainly one. Looking, I'm well, not going to tell I know you. The how, I know, I know who one of the cameos is, and I'm certainly looking forward to that. But that seems like an off season endeavor for me. It, it's certainly not anything that I can get into right now because Game Three tomorrow. Vegas and Winnipeg. I'll be hanging out at the nighttime hockey bar at the M Resort. Come join me for pregame tomorrow on Fox Sports Las Vegas.